Good morning, good morning. Appreciate that good song that we're just involved in there. I know you love the Lord because you're here today. As has been mentioned in prayer today, we have a great event coming this Saturday. If you don't know about it yet, now you do. Fall Festival. This Saturday, good Lord willing, starting at 4 o'clock. This is one of our major efforts to communicate, talk to, and hopefully influence for the good people of our community. It's one of our great outreach efforts throughout the year. We hope that you can be part of that. We're going to follow that up this year with our Bible seminar that hopefully will take place next Sunday uh, during our worship times. So we're going to focus this morning on something very personal. How can I make the salvation of other people personal to me, personal to myself? How can I make the salvation of other people's souls most important, very personal to me? We will dive into some scriptures, but mostly this morning I want us to dive into our conscience. I want, us, I want our conscience to be affected by the condition of other people. I know most of you, and I know that you have a, a concern, a compassion for other people. Jesus says in Mark chapter 1, 16 and 17, that if you follow Him, He'll make us to become... Fishers of men. But notice that word become. It doesn't happen overnight. And it also implies that we can become more effective as we continue to follow Jesus. With that in mind, how can I make the salvation of other people more personal to me? Just going to simply throw out some suggestions based on the Bible, of course. Let us not forget... The power of the invitation. The power of the invitation. I'm so thankful to have Kelly's mother among us now. My mother-in-law. My mother-in-law. Y'all know her. She's living with us now. My mother-in-law. As the old movie says... How do you solve a problem like Maria? How do you solve a problem like Marie? Marie's not a problem. She is a delight uh, for us. Delight for us. Or somebody else says, you know, the old saying, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. So our mother-in-law has moved in with us. If I did not pick on 
Sister Marie, then she wouldn't know who I was. She deceived me from the very early days when I visited her house in Bridgeport, Alabama, all the way from Montgomery, Alabama, and I sat down, and she fed a chicken casserole. And I ate every bit of it, and I hated it. But I never told her until, until some months later. It was full of sour cream. And so later on, she learned better to leave the sour cream out. Much better chicken casserole. Much better. What a delight she is. She was telling me the other day, going back in time, when she was a teenager down in Foley, Alabama, teenager that her family was not going to church, but another family invited her parents to attend the Foley Church of Christ. And they did. And Sister Marie's parents died, faithful members of the church, and then here is Sister Marie with us. Sister Marie has been a missionary's wife, brought up three faithful daughters, who also have brought up children, who are all serving the Lord. But look what, look what one invitation did. Who was that family? We can't remember who that family was. Who was that family in Foley, Alabama, who invited this other family to simply attend the services of the church? Who was this family? It doesn't matter who they were. The Lord knows. But look what a chain of events occurred after that. One invitation. One invitation. If we want to make the salvation of others personal to us, we'll remember the power of the invitation. Look with me in John 1, 35 and following. Remember that John the Baptist is talking about Jesus, pointing Him out to people. Behold the Lamb of God, he would say, who takes away the sins of the world. And so two of the guys who were listening to John preach started following Jesus. And Jesus asked them, what are you seeking? That's a great question. What are you seeking? What are you doing here? What are you seeking? And they said, Lord, where are you staying And then Jesus invited them, come and see. It was about the 10th hour of the day, about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And so they went wherever Jesus was staying that evening and they were able to spend a considerable amount of time with Him. Look at Jesus using the power of the invitation. You come and see. And they were able to come and listen to Him all night long. And then one of those two that spent that time with Jesus, his name was Andrew, and Andrew went and found his brother Peter and brought Peter to Jesus. Later on in the same chapter of John 1, around 45 and 46, Jesus had introduced himself to Philip, and then Philip went and got Nathaniel, and Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And, and Philip said, well, you just come and see, and he did. He was invited, and he went and saw And he was able to observe and learn that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, the King of Israel. The power 
of just one invitation. That can make it real to us. Psalm 122 verse 1 is a favorite of mine. Psalm 122 and verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I was glad. When we invite people to church, they will be glad. A lot of them will be. They will be glad. And I'll tell you why. It's because everybody walking around here are all made in the image of God. All of us are made in the image of God. That means we have within us a desire to worship somebody, to worship something. You see it yourself. That's why there's so many billions of dollars in in these sports events and sports teams. It's because people have to worship something. It's, It's within people to worship something. You go back, do you remember some of the the gods of the Old Testament, the false gods of the Old Testament, Baal and Asherah, Marduk, Molech. Okay. And that, that's just some of the Ammonites and Canaanite gods. And then, of course, Egypt had their own set of gods, starting with R.A., Ra, the, the sun god, and Isis, and, and all of those. Why are all these gods present? Why? Why do God's people keep running into these different foreign false gods? Because everyone is made in the image of God. They want to be worshiping something or someone. And when they receive an invitation to go to worship, to go be in the presence of God, that's a positive thing. So let us not forget the power of the invitation. Secondly, let's remember self-preservation. Because our souls depend on how we help others. Our souls depend on how we help others. Look in your Bible to John chapter 15 and Jesus telling the story of doing the comparison of the, the vine and the branches. He says, I am the true vine. My Father, He owns it all. He's the husbandman. He's the, he's the vine dresser. Okay. I am the true vine. Notice in John 15 verse 2, the Lord says, Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit is taken away. What do they do to the branches that are taken away? You keep reading and they throw them in fire and they're burned. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit is burned. It's taken away and burned. See, our salvation depends on how we deal and what we do with the gospel. Notice some words that Paul spoke or wrote to Timothy. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 16. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 16. He says to Timothy, now you be careful. You watch yourself and the teaching that you're doing. And you persist in these things. And in so doing, you'll both save yourself and those that hear you. Now, how is it that Timothy's soul could be put in danger? Two big ways. First, if he teaches the wrong thing, what he he teaches could go astray, and then he would lead others astray, and that could put his own soul in jeopardy. But a second way he could put second way he could put his own soul in jeopardy is in refusing to teach at all. Suppose he just stopped. 
Suppose he left Ephesus. Suppose he just stopped teaching. That also would put his soul in jeopardy. Don't you see that? If wrong teaching would put his soul in jeopardy, then not teaching at all would put his soul in jeopardy just as much or worse. Now, looking at one Old Testament scripture, I want us to think about this. I want us to be turning over to Daniel chapter 12, Daniel 12, 2 and 3, but I want us to think about something as we get over there. Our salvation is contingent upon certain things. Am I going to obey the gospel through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism? Certainly my salvation is contingent upon that. When Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6, He says, as you pray, you better be forgiving other people. Did you hear that? As you pray and as you live, you are to be doing all things in your heart in your mouth, in your life, so that you are forgiving other people. If you don't, the Lord's not going to forgive you. Okay. But also contingent with our salvation is how much do we care about other people's souls? Now here in Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, Daniel takes us to the final day. He says, many that sleep in the dust of the earth shall one day awake, awake, some to everlasting life, but some to everlasting shame and contempt. And he goes on to say, and those who are wise shall, shall shine like the sky above. And those, and notice this, those who turn many to righteousness, that's it, those who turn many to righteousness shall shine like the stars above forever and ever. Now, not only is heaven going to be a place of light, but the Lord wants us to be able to go there and to shine like the stars up above forever and ever. How is it that we get to that spot? How do we get that assurance? By helping many turn to righteousness. You see, just from the, and this really ought, for us to be living in the culture we live, uh, live in, which is all about self, when it comes to self-preservation, when it comes to the salvation of our own souls, that ought to make it very personal for us. The condition of another person's soul ought to be very, become very personal to us because my eternal salvation really depends on what I can do and help in regard to other people's souls. And then it's profit, profitable for us to, look at, to think about Bible examples. If we think about Bible examples, it can be very personal to us as well. If you think about it, the things that we do come from Bible examples. We worship faithfully because of Bible, Bible examples. Acts 2.42, about the early church, it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of the bread and the prayers. That's a great example. Acts 20, verse 7, we see that the early church 
met on the first day of the week and partook of the, the Lord's Supper. That's our example, and we follow that example. In Acts 4, 36 and 37, we read about Barnabas, who was such an encourager that he was called the son of encouragement. And we follow that example as we should. We say encouraging words. We try to do encouraging things. If we're going to follow the Bible examples on all these matters, then it would also behoove us, wouldn't it, to follow the Bible example of reaching out to other souls. Helping them to know the gospel of Jesus. Helping them to come to know Jesus in such a way that they can receive forgiveness of their sins. You see in Acts 8 verse 4 we read that those who are scattered abroad, just regular church members, those who are being scattered because of persecution, they went everywhere teaching the word. That's the power of the pew, you might say. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So just the examples of what we have in the Bible ought to make it very personal to us. We bring others home. We bring these other examples home to us. If somebody asks us, why are you at church on Sunday? Why are you such a kind person? We will point to the Bible. We'll point to Bible examples of such. If we're going to point to Bible examples, we need to look at the fact that many of them shared the gospel as well. Think about that guy, Philip, that was chosen to help the widows in Acts chapter 6. That's not all he did. That same Philip was directed by the Lord to go into Samaria and help many people learn the gospel there. And then he was taken away from Samaria to go and teach the eunuch salvation. We need to be like Philip. That was a great Bible example. And that doesn't even bring us, as we're looking at our time here, we could spend a great deal of time just on the example of Jesus, but we'll just move on from here. What we're trying to do is to think about the fact that we know people need to hear the gospel. How can I bring that home to me? How can I make it personal? We can remember the power of the invitation. We can remember our souls depend on us doing this. And we can remember all these great Bible examples. But I want us to move on and think about the aim. What is our aim? When we remember the aim of God, then it will become very personal for us to share the gospel. Even when we have just a one chance opportunity, there are things that we can be thinking about that perhaps can help someone come to know Christ. Think about these three thoughts in regard to the aim. We need to try to help people have something new in their head. We need to aim for the head. We need to aim for the thoughts. We need to help people have something to think about. To think about. Even if it's just a one-shot approach. I've been told, and I've experienced some of this. 
I've been, stories have been shared with me, and I like to share them with you when they're shared with me, and I like to share experiences with you as well. This young man was on the front porch sharing the good news about an event at church. And there was an older gentleman there in his rocking chair, and the older gentleman said, Y'all are the ones that, that think baptism is necessary for salvation. And the young man said, uh, Well, yes, sir. Yes, sir. He said, I'll have you to know, young man, I've been reading the Bible longer than you've been alive. I don't see anything in there about salvation, baptism being necessary for that. Young man said, you think you could find in your Bible 1 Peter 3 and 21? The man said, well, sure. He grabbed his Bible and turned over there. 1 Peter 3 and 21 young man stood there and watched him and he didn't read it out loud but as we say he mouthed it his lips were moving and young man watched him as he read the verse and he could see the shock that came over his face baptism doth also now save us he took the young man young man said what did the inspired Apostle Peter say about it. He said, well, I see what it says, but I don't think that's the truth. But yet on another front porch, a young mother was shown the same verse, and she became very angry, very angry. And so the older gentleman who had shared the verse with her said, why are you so angry? She said, I'm angry first of all because I'm angry at myself. I'm angry at myself for never having seen this verse, 1 Peter 3.21. And she says, secondly, I'm angry because none of my friends or family members have ever shown me this as well. She says, that's why I'm angry. But she says, I appreciate you showing me this verse. Our aim is to help something come into their mind that perhaps has never been thought of before. Sharing Bible verses, sharing Bible thoughts. That's one part of our aim. The second part of our aim is the heart. Have something for the head and then have something for the heart. What you're trying to do there is to communicate plainly that God loves you. God loves you very much. God loves you more than you could ever really ever know. God loves you. In doing that, perhaps one could share John 12 and 32 where Jesus says, and, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Now this is where I really like that last song. I love the Lord. Jesus is not saying here in John 12, 32 that He was going to save everybody. But He is saying here that everybody has the proper motivation now. He said, once I am lifted up on the cross, all men will be able to see how much God loves them. In fact, 1 John 4 
19 is really a commentary on John 12, 32. And we were just singing 1 John 4, 19 in that song that James was leading us in. We love the Lord and we love other people because He first loved us. That's what 1 John 4, 19 says. We love Him because He first loved us. That's what Jesus is showing here in John 12, 32 when He says, If I be lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men unto me. So put something in their heart. And then third, the third aim is to put something in their hand. Put something in their head, put something in their heart, put something in their hand. And we have the resources. How thankful I am to be at this congregation, to have the leadership that we do, to have the membership that we do, because we have resources. We have things to leave in people's hands. You see, what you want to do is, especially if you don't know if you're going to be seeing a person again, you need to leave them something to follow up on. We need to leave them something to to refer back to. That's the idea of leaving something in their hand. It might be that when you hand someone a piece of literature, whether it be a track or a booklet or a book or even a Bible, it might be that, that they appreciate it, but not very deeply at that time. But later, there might be a crisis or it might be just a moment of reflection to where they could, they could they'll really be able to use whatever you just handed them. So they can go back to that. They can refer back to that. They can follow up on that. Another advantage is to think about how, how personal this is for them. You say, well, I just handed them a booklet. Well, that can be very personal to somebody because they can look at that in the privacy of their own room or home. They can read that at their own pace and they can do that at their own convenience. I've been in the elevator with, with a, a number of people before, and you know you get to talking with them, and and I I've had religious conversations on the elevator, but it's so short lived, and usually I'm just about to get to a good point, and the thing the door opens, and I just want to say I'm not through with you. It's not time to leave. See, it's not convenient for them at that time. But if they have their own, their own material in hand, then they can do it in the privacy of their own home. They can do it at their own pace. And they, it's convenient for them. Now, we want to be with them as they study, but sometimes getting them started with a piece of material is really good. And so let's remember the aim. The aim. If we remember the aim that God has for us with other people, then that can make it very personal uh, to us as well. And then finally, let's remember the story of all stories. In Luke chapter 8 and Mark chapter 4 Matthew 13, Jesus gives the story. The story. <clears throat> it's a story involving farming. It's a story involving seed, sowing, and soil. And we've got the Savior telling this story. What He does 
he uh, sees such a crowd that he asks to get on someone's boat, and he gets on the boat, floats out a little, looks back on the land, big massive crowd, and begins to teach them this story about sowing the seed. Perhaps even as he looks out there onto the ground, he is seeing somebody working in their garden, planting or harvesting a crop. Beautiful time for him to to talk about sowing the seed. Now, the Savior is good. He's trustworthy. He is the Son of God. So no, no problem there with the one telling the story. The seed is good. The seed is good. Peter says about it in 1 Peter 1, uh, 23, that we are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, uh, the Word of God that lives and abides forever. There's nothing wrong with the seed. A lot of times there's nothing wrong with the soil. Now the soil can be challenging. As Jesus tells in the story, some of the seed just falls along the path and it's perfect prey for the birds or Satan himself. Some of the seed falls upon the hardened ground. We've all experienced that. The backyard of my grandmother's house growing up in Jasper, it was the, it was, we were not allowed to play in the front yard, but in the backyard. We, could, we ruined her backyard. We were, with bicycles and everything else that we boys did, it was all hardened. I remember one time, grandfather brought in a pile of dirt. He was going to do something with that dirt, but we got to it before he did we used it to jump our bicycles. Okay. We, would, we would run fast as we could down the hill, hit that pile of dirt, and see how far we could, we could um, land from that dirt with our bicycles. Okay. It was tremendous, great fun. But that dirt pile got hard. So hard he was never able uh, to use it. We know what it means to have some hardened ground. Sometimes it can get choked. The seed, the Word of God, can get choked out, of course. But Jesus said there are some, there's some good ground. There's some good ground. So at least 25% of the people and the hearts we run into will be receptive. So the problem is not the Savior. The problem is not the story. The problem is not the seed. The problem is not... Problem, problem is not good ground. Good ground's out there. The problem is most likely, most of the time, the sower. The sower. What's the name of this parable anyway? What's the name of it? Did Jesus ever name it? Is it called the parable of the seed? Is it called the parable of the souls? What is it called? I thought I ran into that. Did you, have you run into that? Matthew chapter 13 is one place. Is that where it was? Yes. If you look at Matthew 13, 18, here's what Jesus said. Hear then the parable of the sower. Matthew 13, 18. Hear the parable of the sower. Jesus intends for our emphasis to be on sowing. On sowing. You see, you can have a barn full of seed, but if we don't take it out and sow it, it does nobody any good. And it really becomes quite simple. If you sow enough seed, 
at enough places for a long enough time, then there will be fruit produced. Jesus' emphasis here is on us. Are we willing to sow the seed? And we must do all we can to scatter the seed. Using every opportunity. We cannot, like the Lord, we cannot know people's minds. We cannot know their circumstances. So we must scatter the seed. We must broadcast the gospel just as far and wide as we can and use every opportunity we can, like this Saturday and like everyday opportunities the Lord brings before us. How can I make it more personal? I can pay attention to Jesus. He even says that this is the parable of all parables. He says, if you do not understand this parable, you're going to have a very difficult time understanding uh, any of the things that I say. So we'll go that far uh, this morning. I have many thoughts along this line, as you do, as you do. Let's remember that we are fighting for what is best for people. What is best for people. It was a great event. We read about in John 11 that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But where is Lazarus now? He eventually died, just like everybody else. He went the way of all the earth. What Jesus did with Lazarus was great because it showed his power, showed him to be the, the Son of God, showed that we can trust in him and know who he is. But the most important thing is not a person's physical life, but the soul. Matthew 16, 26, What shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? How can I make the souls of other people more personal to me, more personal to all of us? Hopefully these thoughts can help us. Not ashamed. We have several times a year where we really try to reach into our community with VBS, Family and and Friend Day, Fall Festival. We have other classes that we do trying to reach people. Let's make it personal. Let's make it personal. First of all, though, we must look at ourselves. As Paul was telling Timothy there in 1 Timothy 4.16, look to yourself closely first. And then you'll be able to see how to save other people. If we can help you this morning with any spiritual need, will you please make that known right now as we stand together, as we sing.